Wow. Welcome to the family. Uh, we've been talking a lot about family this morning, our, our video there. If you're not from around here, not part of our family, uh, you might not get that video, but that's just us. And we're gathered as a family when we had communion. He just talked about our, our family here at Olive Branch and related it to his family. So uh, though we are family, my New Year's resolution is to remember that when you're doing a video, the camera is always on. So I think that'll curtail my singing career right there. But great to be with you this morning. Uh, speaking of family, I moved my family years ago to a little uh, village in Indonesia, about 150 people, no roads in and out, no electricity, kind of a harsh environment, but we wanted to, to, to share Jesus with them, to live there. There's so many broken systems in an isolated culture like that. They were isolated from the other groups around them. As a matter of fact, 150, 200 people in our village, they had their own language and their own culture because they hated the next village near them and the other villages had different languages because of centuries of hatred and centuries of repaying wrongs with another wrong. So much so that if one, somebody from one village was in the jungle hunting, hunted wild pig, that's how we got our meat, uh, they, if they saw somebody from another village, they would kill them or they'd get in a fight. And then sometimes another village would raid another village. And so the, the male population was almost decimated. Very few males, lots of females. What's the ramifications of that? You have polygamy. And polygamy to them was a good, healthy system of survival. Very few men, lots of ladies, so a man would take two, three, or four wives. And as a matter of fact, those, those girls were given to them at birth. They had a, a process where the one family, they, if they had a daughter, they knew when that daughter grew up to be of age, she'd be given to a, another family in the village. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ came in. There were churches started in each of these little villages. And so it changed some of these dynamics. Uh, it changed the fighting. Not everybody became followers of Christ, but they started to realize the value of humans, that there, there was an intrinsic value in humanity, that we are created in the image of God. So uh, the fighting died down quite a bit. There were still problems. I made some number of medical flights with people who were cut up from one kind of fight or another. But now that, that the fighting had stopped, so there started to be a similar number of males and females, so the need for polygamy kind of died out. But they still had this system of, wow, this family gave us a daughter and this family gave us a daughter. So when we have a daughter at birth, she is promised once she's of age to go to this other family, that system still remained. And that really bothered me. I said, that's not right to, to, to give a daughter, especially if it's a Christian family that has adopted Christian values at birth. They have to then give their daughter to this other family that may not have those same values, that may not treat people and, and women properly, but this whole system forced them to promise their daughter. So you had this whole daughter exchange. Every time a girl was born, they, they knew what family she would marry into. 
and I'm an outsider. I, I didn't even speak. I mentioned that he had so many different languages. I spoke Indonesian fluently. I, I learned it once we got there, my wife and I. And, and so I didn't know how to relate it a real heart language. But how do you come in as a visitor to another culture and say, stop this? And, and so I thought, and I, I prayed, and I waited, and I asked questions, and finally had an opportunity to preach in our little village church, and that was 30 or 40 people sitting on a little bark floor of a, a little church with a, a just a, not much of a, a roof, open windows, so birds and everything can fly in. It's quite entertaining during a church service, but I got a chance to preach and I talked about in Christianity that each person was valuable in the sight of God, that they were created in God's image. And, and so the Christians remembered that and said, yeah, yeah, this, this is good and healthy. And then, then I stopped in the middle of my sermon, and I had already set up with another guy, and I said, hey, I like your, your shirt. I should be preaching in that shirt. And he says, oh, this isn't such a good... So I started bargaining with a guy. And there, in the middle of my sermon, don't do this at home or in North America, I took my shirt off, and I gave him some money, and he gave me his shirt. So I put it on. I said, how do I look? And they kind of giggled, so silly. I said, is it okay to barter with a, a piece of cloth, with material? And they all said, sure. They're, they're far more interactive than this olive branch audience. But so they interacted with the sermon... And they said, that's fine. I said, but what if I had a person here? What if I was going to sell one of my kids? Is that appropriate? And they said, no, Kevin, you can't sell an individual. Individuals are valuable. So we went through this process of talking through what it means to be in the image of God. And then I said, but what if you have a baby and you promise your baby daughter to another family. Isn't that treating her like you would a shirt? And, and there was silence. And so I talked a little bit more, and then I, I closed the service and sat down. And what was really cool is for the next half hour, they talked, what about this system? What do we do? Um, how do we change this? And they all agreed, this, is, this isn't right. This isn't valuing our, our people. It's not value, valuing our daughters. And we need to change this. But it was so intertwined in their, their, their system as a culture and how they interacted with each other and other villages. There was not an easy answer. Soon after that, my family had to come back to the States. And I wish I could tell you everything was resolved and they fixed that system. I don't know. I think because of the value of the gospel, they slowly found out how to walk through that. But it was just so agitating, so heart-wrenching to us to see this practice. And I want to talk this morning about what, what, what causes you such agitation. And I'm not talking about drivers on the 91 freeway. I'm talking about uh, ethical or moral systems that are broken, where people are hurting, Maybe it's your neighbors that you hear arguing all the time, or maybe how they treat their kids or ignore their kids, or maybe you see the homeless, or you're aware of sex trafficking. What is it that really bothers you? And I hope and pray something does bother you. I'm going to be quiet now for 20 seconds, and that's going to be really painful for me, but I want you to just jot down on your note card, 
what is it that really agitates you, that's going on around you? Now, I wasn't trying to one-up you with a story of the jungle that you can't uh, relate to or compare to, but I just want us to think through what is it that we see, and and we're going to be talking about that this morning. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul, who in Acts 17 stepped into an issue where he saw great injustice, And and it caused something both awful and wonderful to happen inside him. So we're going to be talking about Acts 17 this morning. And and the title of my sermon is Don't Play It Safe. And why do I say that as we end a year, as we start a new year? We're often told, just mind your own business. Focus on numero uno. Take care of yourself. Do what you can. Put good people around you. And I want to say by our our biblical examples, Paul did not play it safe. He stepped into an an injustice and he saw what, and he asked, what can I do about this? And I want, and I want that injustice provokes us, that it, it stirs our hearts and minds. That means we're starting to get the eyes of God who sees a broken world and has us in it to play out our role as his ambassadors, as his change agents. What can we do? Well, Paul in Acts 17, actually we're going to start in the middle of the chapter. Early in uh, Acts 17, he goes to Thessalonica and he speaks and the crowd gets agitated and they grab the guy who's in front of him. And uh, uh, so Paul escapes with his people. Then next in Acts 17, he goes on to... Berea, and he speaks, and the crowd wants to grab him, and, and uh, he has to sneak out of uh, Berea. So here in one chapter, Paul is agitating people. He's moving on. Now he's going to be in Athens. Why is he doing this? Why at his, uh, at his uh, you know, he's putting his life on the line. Why is he doing this? Because bottom line, he says, it's not fair. It's not fair that I am connected with God the Father and have a relationship with Jesus and other people haven't even heard. So it's this unfairness that provokes him to move forward. Our slides have jumped a little bit. My first point is simply to be provoked. Now, some of you are snickering a little like me because I had an older brother, and growing up, I found it my duty to provoke my brother. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about be stirred up. Do not live a life of complacency. Don't say, oh, God's all about me, and we sing wonderful songs about God loving us and reaching down to us so that we are change agents, so that we love others, so that we are disturbed when people don't know him, when there's Family situations, that should tug at our heartstrings. So here in Acts 17, we're going to see what is it that provokes Paul. Well, in Acts 17, he's, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. They're worshiping 
the wrong thing. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. What's going on? What does this provoke mean? It means to, to sharpen his thinking, to, to stimulate and urge and spur him on and to exasperate. Paul was exasperated. Why? He saw there were some Jews and he went in the synagogue and met with them, but he also saw the vast majority worshiping idols. And that provoked his spirit. That disturbed him. He said, this isn't right. This isn't fair. The Jews knew about God but didn't know him personally through Jesus. Others were just wallowing, searching for something, something else that is out there, and they didn't know Jesus. And my, my main point today is to be provoked, be disturbed. Now, we can be paralyzed but all that's going on around us, but I want to say let's come together as community and let's reach out to a hurting world. But it starts with this love we've been singing about and talking about it. May we love God with all our hearts and may that spur us on to love our neighbors and those around us. And as our outreach pastor here, I long for people to call me and say, hey, my neighbor is hurting. Kevin, how can you help me? How do I reach out? It's New Year's Eve and people don't have anywhere to go. Kevin, what can we do? What can our small group do? I'm willing to come and visit small groups and talk about what can you all do together? So individually together, what can we do? How is God provoking our collective hearts? And how do we step forward? And the next step is simply to be present. We have a P theme going here, to be present uh, because that's how we learn, how we learn to respond to those, those aching, those longings around us. How do we learn what's happening? We have a share class that I often teach, and the point is, how do we ask questions that get people to respond to? What, what stirs them? Why do they exist? What is their purpose in life? And then, how do we step in and love them? So what did Paul do when he was present? What did, well, he kind of cruised around and he learned from what was happening around him. So he says, so, so Paul, standing in the middle of the Areopagus, so this meeting of all these men, said, men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. He's uh, encouraging them, saying positive things. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul was walking around looking. He saw the idols at first that provoked him. So he said, I need to be present. I need to learn. Later on in Acts 17, he actually has read some of their poetry from Athens, and he quotes one of their poets to them. And he says, and also as I was learning about your culture, I see you're worshiping an unknown God and, and I want to help you with that. I have an answer. I know this God. So he comes with great answers. And my encouragement for us is to, to be available, to be present. And a lot of times at churches, we have these activities and want you to do this. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of times where we just need to be present in our neighborhood. We need to be available. 
At Halloween, we have a big gathering on my driveway of all our neighbors, and we have a potluck, and we're just available to hand out candy to kids, and I get to spend two or three hours with our neighbors together. We have New Year's Eve coming up where we can spend time. And you know what? I have this little booklet, and it's available out in uh, Connection Central, and I have my neighbors' names written down and my, the children's names written down, and for some of them, I have prayer requests for them. You know how to find out what their prayer requests are? This is really tough. I ask them. Yeah, okay. So I say, can I pray for you about anything? Ever done that at a restaurant? Before you pray for your meal, ask the, the waiter or waitress. Say, hey, we're about to pray for a meal. Can I pray for you about anything? I've never had anybody get upset with me. I've had several people weep and say, thank you. This is what's going on in my life. What if we get prayer requests of our neighbors and we respond a couple weeks or a month later? That's part of just being present. What, where are they hurting? How can we encourage? How can we help them? We also have James Project. How many of you have ever participated in a James Project? Raise your hand. Oh, good. I like interaction like this. That's good. Um, where we go and we renovate a yard of somebody who's really hurting, about to be cited, fined $1,000 by the city. But we come together as a community and we connect with the neighbors as well and say, your neighbor is hurting. And then we go around and we give gift bags to all the neighbors. And last time we did this, we gave bags to 20 neighbors and nine of them chatted with our group and shared a prayer request and we're able to pray with them. Isn't that exciting? It's not just about yards and rocks and that's good because it helps somebody, but it's helping to restore neighborhoods simply by being present, by seeing the needs, connecting with the city and helping out. Just two weeks ago, several small groups stepped forward and joined me as we wrapped packages at Walmart. Pretty simple. For them, I, I can't wrap presents, but I just stood around. But for most people, pretty simple, wrapping presents. And you know, as people came out of Walmart, they just gave us their uh, toys or whatever to be wrapped, and they sat there and they chatted with us. Two people told us they were new to the community and how wonderful it was to hear about a church that was reaching out. One lady started weeping and told me about her disabled child and was able to pray with her and share about our ministry here called Uniquely His. We have dramas throughout the year. It's a wonderful life we just did as a church, and we had 40 people fill out I'm New Here cards. They came in from the community because people invited them, and they got to see that this is just the building it's not some scary place, and we hope someday they become part of this family we keep talking about. We had Live Week, where I had a, a Muslim and an atheist and a Christian standing up here and just talking about their differences. We're just trying to be present in the community, and we invited. There was a group of atheists that came out, a group of Muslims that came out, a lot of Christians and people brought their friends just to find out where they're hurting, what they're thinking about as they hear an atheist and a Muslim and a Christian speaking. Our church has done a lot to help individuals within the church, outside the church. It's been really cool at the end of the year to look, as Mark shared, and just said, thank you for giving, for stepping into these ministries, for many of us just being present. May we never lose God's heart for the lost those people who do not know Jesus Christ. We get really impacted by the physical needs around us, by the, the James Project and other things, 
but there is also the spiritual dimension. And that can be difficult for us. May we not lose that. That's what provokes Paul to press forward in spite of everything around him. So once we're provoked, we need to be ready to be present, ask questions, and learn. And at some point, I'm running with the P's here, be provoked, be present, be ready to proclaim. Anybody get that right? You ready for that? Oh, didn't show up yet. Um, that's the tough part. How do we talk about Jesus? How do we connect with people? Do we just kind of blab when we're walking by somebody on the street or a neighbor comes over and say, here's the real reason for Christmas, and we get out the Bible and read Luke 2? How do we connect with people? Well, what would Paul do? He saw these men sat around chatting, and they liked listening to new ideas. Paul said, what a wonderful cultural way to step in and chat. So Paul steps in and says, you know what? You guys keep talking about this, this unknown God and all the idols around you. He said, I want to talk about there's this God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Who's he talking to? People who are worshiping idols. Things made out of wood and clay by human hands. And he's saying, no, I'm talking about the God who made absolutely everything. He's, he's bigger than that. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Here he's talking to us a little bit, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of our dwelling place. Ever thought God has put you where you are for a reason, that dwelling place? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually not far from each one of us. He's talking about these dwelling places. He put us there. God is present. He actually uses a strange phrase, feel their way toward him. And he's really talking about grasping this relationship, that, that God doesn't expect us to do all these good things. We don't do James Project and reach out to our neighbors as if we're working our way to God. That's what religion looks like. Christianity is God reaching down to us that we might just grasp that this is a love relationship with the, the creator of the universe. And he mentions here that though you can't see him, he's not far from each one of us, that it's not about distance, it's about a relationship. And that's something we so easily lose as we talk about church and our family, that we come together knowing that it's not about us and what we can do. It's what we do because of the love that God has had for us. Now, I mentioned this share class. We have love, live, and share. We offer love, live, and share classes. And many of you are saying, well, Kevin, I, I, I'm kind of provoked for the people around me. I think they need Jesus, so I just want to be present. But this proclaim thing, it's just not my deal. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you're part of the Olive Branch family, it is part of your deal. We have a discipleship pathway. It includes a class on loving God. It includes a class on living for God, and it includes a class on sharing Christ. 
And people say, well, I'm not really into this sharing thing. And I'm saying, yes, you are. God has a heart for the lost. People say, well, I'm just going to do nice things. I don't have to say anything. Jesus lived a far better life than you do, and he found it necessary to say things. People need to hear, what is it that you share with them? How do you connect with people? We walk through that in our share class. The share class is more about listening. Yes, ladies, it can help in your marriage too. The class is about asking questions and connecting and finding out where people are hurting. Sometimes people have been hurt by the church. They might know what some of the facts of Christianity, but they can't connect in that relationship because of past pain. How do we connect? Well, we teach questions, and we hope to provoke hearts for those who are lost. Now, I don't see too many people with their phone out right now, but on the church app, you can sign up for the next share class. On the back of your handout this morning, it tells you there's a share class starting on Wednesday nights in late January. There's also one coming up on Sundays at 9.30, another at 11 o'clock later on. Plenty of opportunities. We want everybody sitting here, everybody in our audience everywhere, to take the share class. You with me? Do I have to hit it a little harder, please? Uh, it's just part of living out our role as children of a wonderful God. We sing these wonderful songs. We need to sing those. We need to proclaim that somehow to a hurting world. Now, we do that locally, and there's lots of us to go out locally and connect. We have people who do this globally as well. Why? Because everything here is perfect? No, but because it's unfair. It's unfair that people in other parts of the world still do not have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here are Scott and Casey. During this month, we've been promoting their ministry. They're in Thailand. Casey helps with medical needs for global workers all throughout Southeast Asia. Scott makes videos, and he travels to different places. He's made a video about Islam and Buddhism, Hinduism, many other things to send back to the States to provoke people to go take the gospel where it's not known. Their heart breaks. They are provoked. They live far away from family, especially during a time like this at Christmas. They're living there. It's not easy. But because they think it's grossly unfair, just like Paul did, that people here have heard about Jesus or at least have access, and many people in other parts of the world have no or very little access. So pray for Scott and Casey. We also have another couple uh, Carrie and Char Kelly, who are, uh, attend Olive Branch when they can, but he did his PhD work on how to start churches where there's, there's never been one. What does it look like in that culture? So though they have grandkids locally, they spend seven or eight months out of the year traveling to places, Indonesia, Spain, the Philippines, and spending time with new teams, teaching them and sacrificing and loving on them to help them to plant churches where there hasn't been one. So their pictures are all upstairs if you walk up on that uh, walkway uh, on the second floor. We also have another couple. He often has preached here. They've been around Olive Branch for years. They go by the pseudonym Dane, pseudonyms Dane and Marty, and they're going to be heading off to Asia in the next month or so. Because of security reasons, we don't use their pictures uh, and we don't use their real name. 
but they are going to reach a, a group that's been ostracized by the other people groups around them. They've been attacked, and, and so they don't like them, and the others don't like uh, this little group there near the Himalayas. So Dane and Marty want to go in and talk about Jesus and, and try to connect these different groups so that the gospel might move forward. Why? Because their hearts have been provoked for years for people who don't know about Jesus. And though it hurts them to know that they have neighbors here that don't know, uh, they just see the limited access in other places. And also, we have one more overseas worker. She goes by the pseudonym Lydia, and she is serving in Indonesia and uh, working in different ways to connect with Muslims. Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation in the world. How do you connect? How do you start a church? She's wrestling through a lot of those things. And we are involved corporately as a family. These are our people. These are olive branchers that have been sent out to do great things at great sacrifice. Through our giving, through our prayers, we sustain them. Now, also, what can we do here cross-culturally? We take trips down to Mexico. If you're interested in taking a family trip, we'll start promoting these in the new year. But just go connect with a small church we're trying to build a relationship with. The pastor and his wife speak English. The others don't. There's other ways we can minister there. And our role is to lift up the local church, not barge in with all the answers, but to be present and help them reach those around them. We also want to send a large contingent to the Royal Family Kids Camp in June. A number of you are aware of that. It's for foster kids. Foster kids who often bounce from home to home have an opportunity to go to a camp for a week. And you know what we do there? We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to these hurting kids. Kids that don't know their earthly father. We talk about the opportunity to be adopted by their heavenly father. What a great opportunity to proclaim this good news. But I'll tell you right now, none of these things I'm sharing are easy. I've talked with people who have come away from spending a week at this camp, and they said it wasn't fun, but I'm going back because these kids need to hear about Jesus, the opportunity to proclaim. Once our hearts are provoked, we need to learn and, and be present and at some point learn how to point people to Jesus. For a lot of us, it might be inviting our neighbors to a church service, to a drama, to a James project. My neighbors love coming to a James project. But we also need to prepare for peril. This doesn't sound fun, does it? Wait, wait God loves me, and I'm, I'm adopted as his child, so he's going to keep me completely safe. No, he does not promise that. He does say he'll be with us. But this Paul I mentioned, he was beaten with rods. He was stoned and imprisoned, and he's still pressing forward in spite of this peril. Many missionaries over the years lost their lives going to places because of malaria, because of the people they were reaching. I remember reading about Adoniram Judson, who ended up uh, in Myanmar, used to be Burma, and he proposed to his uh, wife, he wrote to her dad, 
Dads, have you ever, I don't know if I've never had to give a daughter away, but I realize it's going to be really tough. So I want to hear good things about how some man is going to take care of my daughter. Here's what he wrote to his father-in-law, Adoniram Judson, years ago. He says, I have now to ask to this father whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, because he was moving overseas, to see her no more in this world. He needs to learn how to soften things a little bit. But he puts it, whether you can consent to her departure, to her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing, immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall rebound to her Savior and the heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. I get choked up reading that because that's a man who understood that in spite of peril, if, our, if we see people with God's eyes in God's heart, we step into the difficulties, in spite of the difficulties. And you know, as he wrote this, in retrospect, all those things he wrote actually came true of what his wife would face. Are we ready to face that? Are we ready for our children to face that? You know, this church uh, young lady named Lydia, many of you know her. She'll be out in Connections uh, Central in the courtyard area. Her, again, her picture's up here. Raised in Olive Branch, and while she was in her youth program, she was astounded to learn that a third of the world did not know the name of Jesus. And so she pressed forward, and, and what that means, and this church years ago sent her to Africa. And the Boko Haram came in raping and pillaging and got close to her, and she was evacuated. And this Lydia came back and regrouped, now serving in Indonesia, serving in a place of many Muslims, and recently there were many riots. She did not want to leave. And her boss in Indonesia called and said, you need to hop on. There's a plane waiting for you. You need to get out of there. And she said, this is my home. My people need me. A few weeks later, she was able to go back. And she had a wonderful time just sitting around and talking. Those who went through the trauma of these riots with many buildings burnt, many people killed in this small town she was in. And riots are liable to happen again. She's back here on a pre-planned visit, and she wants to go back, and she calls that home, despite the peril. But her heart has been provoked. She knows that so many have never heard of the gospel, and she has, as a foreigner coming in and teaching, she has a special opportunity to connect. Wow. 
and she wants to go back. We participate in that. We support her financially. Get on our prayer list. Again, if you don't know who she is, walk up, take a look upstairs, and get out and talk to her. Uh, but it says a lot to us. How do we respond? We need to love, live, and share. We talk about that all the time here at Olive Branch. What does that mean? It means we step forward when we're provoked. And if we're not provoked, then we're not seeing things with God's eyes. May God change the way we view things. And may we take those opportunities that come up to be present, to connect, to hurt with people. And at some point, proclaim the gospel. Now, when I talk about don't play it safe, I'm not talking about absolute foolishness. I'm not talking about being stupid and, and pursuing danger. I'm talking about not looking at your safety and your comfort as the number one thing. As followers of Christ, we're to love, live, and share. And loving is sacrificial. What does that mean to each of us? And any of you, as I mentioned, talk to me about what God has laid on your heart, what you jotted down on your handout, what, how maybe you've added some more things. If you're overwhelmed with homelessness, let's talk. Let's get a team together. How do we impact your neighborhood? I'll come to your small group and, and just talk and brainstorm. If you're a family, a lot of times people, how do I expose my kids to the needs around us? Sign up for a James Project. Get on the email list. We have things for two- and three-year-old kids to do so they can see how to serve, how to connect, how to just be present. In case I didn't mention it, I think I skipped over it, but we're offering the share class coming up here uh, a number of times. I know I repeat it a lot. Uh, I know it's tough. I know that's scary. Take the class. It'll ease some of those fears, give you some tools, and I'll continue to work with you. If you want help, um, I'm here. If you're not a believer, some of this sounds a little funny, but the one thing people miss is Christianity is not getting points coming to church. It's not getting points inviting people to join you at these things. It's about a relationship with God, and every relationship has an emphasis, and every relationship has a cost, and the cost of following Christ is to live completely for him. I don't know what's holding you back. I'll be down here at the end of service. There's something on your heart and mind. We're finishing 2019. Don't remain a skeptic. Don't be paralyzed by the many options before you as a believer or the many questions as a non-believer. Let us as a community help you. And may we go out in this new year, in this new decade, renewing our, our uh, primary focus to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you as we've just celebrated Christmas, the birth of you sending your son. God, it's hard for us to grasp, to grasp what it means to, to leave heaven and to come down and live in a sinful, broken world. God, the, the pain that Jesus suffered, the betrayal by friends, that's love. God, may you help us to see the world with your eyes of love, your heart of love. May our hearts be stirred. May we be provoked and learn to be present and, and learn how to proclaim you, to talk about what you've done in our lives. God, we are so grateful. 
May the love we have for you, may that abound even more and more as we love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. In Jesus' precious name, amen.